Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon. Well, good morning, church. We good? Everybody good? All right, we got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going we're gonna to jump in because I went like 15 minutes over in first service, and I don't want a children's worker to hang me when we get done today, okay? Um, so last week, we finished uh, a series telling the story of how God redeemed the world. Um, oh, and we baptized like 16 people last Sunday night too. That was pretty cool. But we were also reminded last week that what Jesus came to do on this earth didn't end when he left it. That we were handed the baton. That he gave us the responsibility and the opportunity to continue to be his light in the world that he has put us in. And that the purpose of my life and your life is to point people to Jesus. That's why we're here. If we follow Jesus, if we know Jesus, if we lo- that's our job, our, our, our mission, our purpose on being on this planet until the day we leave it is to use our life to point people to Jesus. And the, the story in the book of Acts is, is what happens when people begin to do that. Those people that first experienced Jesus, those first people that came to know Jesus took what they had seen and what they had heard and they just couldn't shut up about it. They, they went all throughout the world telling people about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus and they weren't, people weren't discovering a new religion. They were finding an eternal hope and who God is. But then something happens in Acts chapter 10 that is beautiful, but yet created a lot of challenges. In Acts chapter 10, our old buddy Peter, y'all remember Peter, because we all can relate to Peter, because he was just as jacked up and full of flaws as we are. God comes to Peter in a dream and specifically asks him to go to a very specific man, his name was Cornelius' house, and share a meal with him. The problem was the meal that he would be sharing was not kosher. And so Peter begins to tell God what he can and cannot and will and will not do. Ever tried that? And he says, no, God, like, I, I can't go there and eat that. Like, it's unclean. It's unlawful. And God says to Peter, don't call clean what I, unclean what I have made clean. And, and for the first time, the gospel begins to be introduced to people that were outside the Jewish tradition. And this begins to turn the church, this new formed body of Christ, into a bunch of turmoil. See, up until this point, the people that were coming to Jesus had had this Jewish background. And so they grew grew up with the Jewish law and the Jewish prophets and all those other kind of things. And for the most part, they had a bit of a shared heritage. You following me? Say amen. But now, all of a sudden, Gentiles, and if you've ever heard that word, there was Jews and Gentiles. The Jews were the people that grew up in the nation of Israel, grew up in the Jewish faith. The Gentile was all of us everybody else. But now all of a sudden a Gentile comes to faith. Somebody that didn't grow up in the Jewish tradition. Somebody that didn't grow up with those customs and those laws. And people find out that Peter must have went and had a barbecue sandwich. And they freak out a little bit. But then Peter begins to tell them this story that Jesus has brought salvation outside of just this one nation, this one people group. 
And things begin to change, and he, he begins to be questioned about what happened and how it happened. And then this is said in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The beauty part of this is, is a reminder that, like, Jesus came and Jesus died for all people. And that God wants all people to be saved. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter the grease on your wall. It doesn't matter any of the stuff that sometimes, it means Jesus died for the people that look like you and the people that don't look like you. Me, yeah. Jesus died for the people that grew up like you did and the people that grew up the exact opposite way you did. He died for the people that annoy the fire out of you. Jesus died for them too. But the challenging part was now you had all these people with all these different backgrounds and different belief systems, and now you have this melting pot, melting pot of people, and it created issues. Because they had their own ways of believing and their own traditions and their own ways of thinking and their own patterns of behavior that were okay and things that weren't. And now they're all under the umbrella of Jesus. And now the, the, the responsibility of the leaders within this movement have to figure out, all right, how, how do we come into an alignment of belief as a body? Because there are certain things that it doesn't matter kind of which background we came from that we need to be unified about what we believe. Y'all follow me? And even in that moment, the variation of belief tried to divide the church. Still happening today. And so they had to wrestle with some issues. Okay, what's going to be important? Because the reality is if we're all going to claim to follow Jesus, there has to be some things that we come to an agreement upon. There has to be some fundamental truth that we share. That yes, there is room for some variance of belief in some areas, but there are some things that are fundamental, some things that are foundational. And if we're all going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we all have to agree upon and believe and fall under these truths. That was a challenge that the early church faced, and it's one that we still face today. Because here's the reality. Like, it's, we're confusing the mess out of the world. Because this person, this person, and this person, Christian, 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 and they all claim the label Christian or Christ follower or disciple of Jesus or whatever, but yet fundamentally they have 15 different belief systems. Come on. And I would submit to you, like, that can't be. Stay with me, okay? There is, there is some room for variance of belief within the body of Christ. There are some things that, that we don't have to agree upon. Because there are some things that, that, that God hasn't made clear. There, and there are some, some dotted lines out there. And there are some personal conviction types out there. There are some of those things. And there's, you know... It's, it's funny, like there's some people that would think I am disqualified to even stand up here and preach because I'm wearing jeans and vans. And if that's you, won't see you next Sunday. <laughs> and see, here's the problem with throughout history is we've put lines where God didn't put lines. And that's how kind of denominations were formed. And it's divided, divided the body of Christ 
and we've spent more time fighting each other than fighting the real enemy we need to be battling. But here's the other problem. God's drawn some lines that we've tried to erase. And that's dangerous. Because see, the reality is God has drawn some lines that are eternal. That are immovable. There are things, there's some, there's, there's some, and, and see, the problem with, with, with our culture is, is the church, the religion wants to draw lines where there is no lines, and the world wants to erase lines where there are clearly lines. Amen. And both are dangerous. And I feel like if we're going to, if we're all going to claim the name of Jesus and we're all going to fall under that title, there, there are some things that we need to dis- to to discuss and be real about because there are some clearly drawn drawn lines that God has drawn and they are not moving. And people say, oh, it's, it's 2019. I don't care if it's 4019. There's some things that God has said that are not, go- everything that God has said is not moving. And there's some clear things that God has said about a lot of stuff that are fundamental, that are foundational. And church, if we start moving those lines, there's, there's a bottom line. And when you dip below that line, you have to be careful the label you attach to your life. Because when you begin, begin drifting outside of the lines that God has clearly drawn, it ain't cute. I know today, one of these parents in this room, you're going to, Go and one of this, you're going to go pick up your kid who's two years old or whatever, and they're going to hand you a picture, and it is garbage. <laughs> because they have just. And you're going to tell them it's beautiful, and you're going to put it on your refrigerator for a few weeks, and it's just going to be the most beautiful. That's cute when you're three. If you're 13 and you're still not coloring outside the lines, there's something wrong with your child. Because there comes time when we have to grow up and be honest that the lines are drawn for a reason. And y'all know I'm kind of using this as some hyperbole, right? But like there are lines, and when you drift outside those lines, like it's dangerous. And I love you too much to tell you that God, not to tell you that God has drawn lines. And those lines that He's drawn are not so that you don't enjoy life, but so that you can find joy in life. Because living within the lines that God has drawn is the only way to experience the full, joyful life that he's designed you to have. And when we start erasing lines where God has drawn them, we start being God and not allowing him to be God. And and can I just say, this, this is not new. Like from the beginning of time, we've had this desire to, to, to erase God's lines. Paul challenged Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in the very early onset of this movement. He had been mentored by Paul. Paul had started a church. He had handed the leadership to this church over to Timothy. And I want you to look at what he writes Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Pick up with verse 3. It says, for, there, uh, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. He says, hey, Timothy, there's going to come a time when people are going to want to start erasing the lines and drawing new ones. 
People are going to want to pretend that the lines that you know that God has drawn weren't really drawn there. And so you know what that says to me? That says already under Timothy's leadership in the church, people were already starting to move the lines. Y'all, stop. Oh, it's just so bad. It's always, this has always been happening. From the onset of creation, from the Garden of Eden, we've tried to pretend that God didn't say things that he said. And we've tried to move those lines around. And I know with 24-hour news cycles and social media, it just seems worse. It's not any worse than it's ever been. It's just in front of you a little bit more. And so Paul is just saying, hey, Timothy, when that time comes, when you live in a culture that's trying to erase what God has said and move it around and fit to fit their comfort level or their agenda or their culture, like you just need to stick to what you know. Look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and, from, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul says to Timothy, like when this happens, when, when the culture that you live in or the people around you start to move the lines that you know God has said, like, remember, like, remember who you learned these from, that these were people who, who loved God and loved you, and they taught you these things, not because they were their own opinions, but because those things that they had learned, they were rooted in the scriptures, and they're just teaching you what God has taught them through other people, and so when these times come, remember what you know to be truth, because verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, he would say, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. See, God, God's drawing some lines. And when you get outside those lines, when you dip below these fundamental, foundational things that are part of what it means to know God and to love God and to follow Jesus... It's dangerous. And I have the weighty responsibility of standing on this platform week in and week out with the task of reminding us of the truth of what God says. And there's a lot of times that I'll be honest, I don't like some of what God says either. Come on. But what I think about it is irrelevant. How easy it is for me is irrelevant. How uncomfortable it makes me is irrelevant. I have the responsibility to tell y'all, to tell our church, to tell our community, that I believe deep in my spirit, God's word says about issues that we're facing today. And throughout this series and throughout this year, we're going to address some of these things, and it's going to be tough. In a few months, the parking lot might not be as crowded. And so in this series that we're calling The Bottom Line, we're, we're going to address kind of five fundamental things. It's not all of them, but for me, it's, it's, it's what everything else flows out of these, these issues. That like these, these aren't room for negotiation. These aren't gray areas. And it all starts with the Bible. The Bible is Scripture. We believe in the authority of Scripture as the Word of God. The authority of Scripture as 
the word of God. And the reason why we start here is because this line is the line from which all other lines are drawn. That we believe that, that this is not just another book. This is not just words on a page. That this is God's word as he's chosen to reveal his character and nature and design to us. And it's from the scripture that we draw all other lines. And so what you think about this is going to shape what you think about everything else. Or it should. And so that's where we start. But we get the luxury of starting here. But when this movement that Jesus started began, they didn't have this as we have it. They didn't have this as we have it. It wouldn't be till almost 400 years into this thing, 397 AD-ish, is when, we would, when Scripture would be what we call canonized, where we would have the Old Testament and the New Testament as we have it today. The, the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament, it would be 400 years into the movement that Jesus started before we would have it bound like this. Now that doesn't mean that up until that point that the things that are in this book weren't being spread around and being taught and being ingrained in to the movement that Jesus started. But when in, in the book of Acts, there was no book of Acts yet. As you're reading and you're watching all this thing unfold and people coming to Jesus, you know, when, when the first people started believing in Jesus, they didn't have the luxury of coming to Jesus and saying, here, good luck, learn this stuff. But we believe that this is God's word and, and how he has crafted it and formed it and preserved it and got it to us is meaningful and powerful and that God's hand has been in it from the very beginning, that this, these, these words are written down by men, but their writing is inspired by God himself, that through the Holy Spirit speaking to those people that we, that we got this word. And that Old Testament and New Testament. But in the beginning, they didn't, they, see, when the church first started forming, they saw the need to have some alignment in fundamental beliefs. And they would draw from holy writings and the holy scriptures in the Old Testament, but they would use things called creeds to unite the church under belief. Some of y'all maybe grew up in a, in, a, in a tradition where you heard the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, or basically the, the creeds were simply statements of faith that as, as things started to creep into the church, that the, that the church knew were kind of moving them off truth or moving them off course. They would come together and, and unite under statements of belief about Jesus and about things that were fundamental to the church. Y'all with me say amen. This is going to be a little bit academic today, but you, it's going to be fun too, okay? Okay. <laughs> there were creeds, but we believe that God has been using this, and we believe that all of it matters. And in that day, they, they would have had the Old Testament as we have it. Because somewhere between 100 to 200 years before Jesus was born, the Old Testament as we have it was, was gathered together by a group of about 70 scholars they had taken the Hebrew text, the original text of these scriptures that had been passed down from generation to generation and translated them in, into Latin. And that would have been the Bible that Jesus would have known, the Old Testament law and prophets. And it would be from what is called the Septuagint. Because that's a, that's a word. There were about 70 scholars that, that came together to, to, 
to discuss and make sure that the, the books that were included in the Old Testament were, were actually the books that were inspired by God and, and, and historically accurate. And so when you see Jesus move throughout his ministry, you see him quote the Old Testament. And now some people wonder like, okay, we, we like the Jesus stuff, but the Old Testament, I, I, I ain't sure about all that stuff. So why do we include that? I think, I think there's a lot of reasons, but the main one I will point to is because Jesus quoted it. Jesus affirmed it. Jesus referred to it all throughout his ministry. And if Jesus thought it was valid and valuable for life, then I think us who follow Jesus should as well. Come on. And Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus said, like, I didn't come to erase all that. I actually came to fulfill it. And I said in the last series, the, the majority, what you most need to know about the Old Testament and its purpose is the Old Testament was to point to Jesus. It was to re- help us to understand our depravity and our, our brokenness and our need for a new relationship with God through, through the sacrifice of blood. It pointed to Jesus all throughout the, the, the New Testament. We see Jesus pointing to the Old Testament, showing the way to his coming. And now I know there's some stuff in there that's, that's different for us and has a different level and meaning of application for us. And it's funny how we kind of pick and choose out of the Old Testament kind of what we want and why. Like, I, ha- I have tattoos. And people come to me all the time with Leviticus 19. And you know what I come back with them? Leviticus 19. Because you're coming at me about my tattoos, I'm coming at you about your bacon. And I'm coming at you about that barbecue sandwich you just had. I don't care if it was Lexington style. <laughs> or I'm coming at you about shaving the edges of your beard. Or that nice cotton polyester blend blouse you have on. Because all that says in Leviticus 19 as well. So what do we do with all that? All the Old Testament is filtered through the New Testament. And they all work together. See, you... You can't build theology on one verse. If you do, you'll start something. It's called a cult. Because when you isolate one passage or two passages and you don't look at it cumulatively, you will land in the wrong spot. But it has value, and it points to us. And the Old Testament was solidified well before Jesus ever stepped onto this planet. But in 397, when they decided what would be in the New Testament, that's where people start to get a little bit squirrely. And they begin to wonder, and they begin to question, and they begin to think about. Oh, and, and you even hear people say, well, uh, it, was, it was 400 years. Why'd they wait so long? Well, they waited for so long for a reason to compile this stuff together. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But the things that were, are in here that were written were written well before that 400-year period. And I know there's people thinking like, well, people handpicked and they chose. And that kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. If we were handpicking stuff that would and wouldn't be in here, there's some stuff I would have left out. But I believe that God had his hand in every letter 
that will be included in this book. I just want to remind you of the people that brought us the New Testament. See, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension was sometime around 30 A.D. We actually believe the Roman calendar is probably off by a few years based on time stamping of when Herod was, was king, when Jesus was born, that somewhere Jesus probably wasn't born in like 0 A.D., probably somewhere between like 3 and 5 A.D. Or, excuse me, B.C. And so Jesus' life, death, resurrection, essentially like Jesus ascended into heaven somewhere around 30 A.D. And you just keep that number in mind as you see when these accounts that we've been given of Jesus' life were written and by whom they were written. See, when they were having discussions over what would be included in, in the New Testament, there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of documents about Jesus, about his life, and about the church. Again, it had been about 400 years at this point. And here's the thing about it. You can think a lot of things that you want about Jesus, but Jesus is the most famous person to ever walk this planet. That is not debatable. For all, in all of history, Jesus is the most famous figure to ever walk this planet. And there's no denying that he was here. There's no denying that he was here. It's historical fact where people begin to divide about who he is and what he said, but there, 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 there's a historian named Josephus. It was a contemporary of Jesus who wrote, who, who was not a believer, but who was a historian, and he writes of the life and times of Jesus, and there's others that record it. And, but when they were deciding who, what books were going to be included in this, they, they put a pretty high criteria from the author having to be somebody personally connected to Jesus or somebody connected to per somebody personally connected to Jesus, that they had to they were, had to be certain that at the time these things were written were within a generation of Jesus' life. So if they were written during Jesus' life, they would have been able to be disputed the contents of what were in there because they'd been written simultaneously during his life, and that's why so many didn't make the cut. Not because people were trying to weed out stuff that wasn't there. As a matter of fact, if they were trying to weed out stuff that they didn't want in there, there's a lot that's in there that they would have left out. Like the book of Matthew, we believe was written sometime between 60 and 70 A.D. Within just a couple few decades of Jesus' life, written by the disciple Matthew, the one who had taken a job, even though he was Jewish, as a tax collector for the Roman government, but had had his life changed when Jesus showed up one day and said, I don't care that everybody else thinks you're a scumbag. I want you to come and follow me because I have a bigger plan for your life. And Matthew wrote down his personal experience with Jesus. He wrote down what he saw and what he heard and what he had seen with his own eyes and heard with his own ears. He wrote down his own account of what he had seen, what had happened. The book of Mark, written somewhere 55 to 60 A.D. Mark was actually written by a guy named John Mark, who was discipled by our old buddy, Peter. See, Peter had been a light with his life and pointed people to Jesus, and at some point he had crossed paths with this man named John Mark, told him about Jesus. John Mark had become a believer, and there came a time, probably because more than likely Peter being a fisherman would have been 
illiterate, probably not even able to read and write. And so he looks at his kid that he's mentoring and says, I want you to write down the things that I saw and the things that I've heard. And we get Peter's personal account of what happened. I know some people question out, like, did Peter really write that? One of the things that tells me that he write, wrote that is he includes his betrayal. If I'm Peter, I'm like, hey, Mark, leave that out, that whole betrayal stuff, because that makes me look really bad. <laughs> and that John Mark would pin Peter's account as he would recall it to him about what he'd saw, things that he had seen that a handful had only seen, the Mount of Transfiguration, like all these personal experiences that he had had with Jesus. And he would later also have him write down letters to believers in First Peter and Second Peter and these, these other books. Then you come to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke written again somewhere between like 59 and 63 A.D. Again, within just a, a few decades of Jesus' life. And, and Luke, this is a big, Luke was a Gentile. He was one of those Gentiles that came to Jesus. And history tells us that, that he was a, a physician. He was a scientist. He would have been one of those ones that like, face, like just hearing the story wouldn't have been enough. And even as you open his account, he says, I have investigated these things. Like, I've looked into this stuff. I've studied it. I've interviewed people. Luke would have, he lived around the same time as these people. And he came to Jesus as the church began to be born in Acts. And actually, Luke would write the book of Acts because he lived it. He's there as Paul's doing ministry and all these things are happening. And you even hear him refer to himself several times. And he says, hey, I investigated these things. So Luke being the, the, the physician, the scientist, the, the guy who needed the facts... He would have gone around and interviewed everybody that had a personal encounter with Jesus. He would have investigated all these things. And what he wrote down came out of his investigation to find out the truth about Jesus and his life. And then you step into the Gospel of John. Probably the last of the Gospels to be written. Written by John. In around 95, we believe, A.D. Now John's an old man. And at this point... He's had the opportunity to read everybody else's account. And he says, yeah, I, I want to tell my story too. John, the, the one that saw the empty tomb, the one that stood there. And Jesus said, hey, take care of my mom. The one that would almost die for his faith multiple times tells the story about Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And you keep walking through the Scripture then you have all these letters that were written by Paul. Paul, who when the movement of Jesus first started, his goal was to snuff it out. And then one day he meets Jesus, probably around maybe 35-ish A.D. or somewhere in there, just a few years after Jesus' life. He meets Jesus and Jesus changes his life. And for the next several decades, he goes around telling the message of Jesus and sharing the gospel and talking about Jesus. And all those books that we have are letters that Paul would write to these churches as they're battling issues and trying to figure this whole thing out. And God inspired him to write these letters that we would need to read. Because as you read them, you realize the culture they were battling is very literally different than it is from ours now. Like, as you look at how God brought us the New Testament, even, even the book of James, which might be my favorite. James was written somewhere between 40 and 50 A.D. James written by the brother of Jesus. 
Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, had more kids. Can you imagine growing up in that household? You know Jesus was their favorite. John comes home. I got a promotion at work. Your brother just walked on water. Are you talking about a shadow? No wonder he didn't believe in Jesus. It, like it tells us, you read the book, like, up until Jesus rose from the dead, John did not believe he was the son of God. Did not believe he was God. What do you, you got to do to convince your brother you're God? Come back from the dead and predict it. And he writes this letter to the Jewish believers, and you hear that, like, hey, guys, I know I didn't believe it either, but now I do, and it's changed my life. And you, and you see, and you see that within just a few generations that, that, that God's writing his story. And some people think, well, okay, well, then why did, it, why did it take so long for us to get it? Like, if that's true, Matt, if we can really trust this, then, then why was it, it, it hidden for so long? Why did it take him so long to, to decide on these things? Well, one of the biggest things was in around 64 A.D., a guy by the name of Nero became emperor of Rome. And he made it really, really difficult to be a Christian. Legend has it that literally, like, he would bring Christians in by the dozens and decapitate them. And then he would take, this is, this is graphic, okay? He would take their severed heads and put them on the end of spikes and cover their heads with oil, their, de their decapitated heads with oil, and light them on fire to light his garden. He was not a nice man. And you, you had this period of history where to, to, follow, to follow Jesus was, was just illegal and, and had the penalty of death. Or to be caught, because see, what they would do is, is they would take all these writings long before, for around 397, when all this stuff was put together. These books existed for decades. And what they would do is they would go and they would transcribe them. They would make copies of them. And then they would distribute the copies to these various places of faith and say, hey, you've heard about Jesus. Here's, here's Peter's account. It was written down by his, his, his disciple, John Mark. He wrote it. Or here's Luke. He was a doctor that found Jesus. And, and here's his account. And like, if you, now that you're coming to faith, now that you're putting your trust in Jesus, here's how you can read about who he is and, and what he wants for your life. And, and in the Old Testament, is important as well. Why? Because Jesus, our Lord, said it was. And, and you can understand what Mark's writing by understanding what, what Isaiah wrote. But you've got to be careful. Because if you get caught with this, they'll kill you. And the reason why it took so long, because it was around 380 A.D. that things began to shift. A guy named Constantine would become emperor of Rome and convert to Christianity and make Christianity the official faith of the Roman Empire. Now that had some good and bad to it, but for the first time ever, you could be seen with the scriptures and scholars would be freed up to study and read and decide without the threat of persecution. So why did it take so long? Because up until that point, if you were caught with the word, they would kill you. And now they put this council together. Now that we can do this in free and open, let's study this. And God ordained this criteria that they would set. And now we live on the other side with the luxury of having this book. It is not just another book. It is not just words on a page. It is the inspired word of God. It is the line that draws all the other lines. 
And there are thousands and thousands of, of transcripts of this. And you can even see some of the numbers on the screen. There are thousands and thousands of transcripts of ancient languages. And there's something called textual variants. That they look for a variance in these transcripts. You'd have thousands of copies like of, of the book of Matthew and they would look for textual variants to see. And, and there is some, some variance, but typically it's, it's grammatical stuff that doesn't change a single thing that we believe. In other words, they all say the same thing. Why? Because God's hand has been on it because he wanted you and I to know him and to know what he desires for us. And the way he decided to do it was to give us this. And in this book, you discover the important things. In this book, the wonder of God is revealed. Life is going to paint an inaccurate picture of who God is. You're going to go through things in life and experience will say God is not good. This reminds you that he is. You see things like Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The wonder, this lets you, this will not tell you all there is to know about God. He's too big. But this will tell you all you need to know about God for now. This paints the accurate picture of God's character and nature. But it not only reveals the wonder of God, it reveals the ways of God. Ephesians 4 one through three, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, like there's a way that God wants us to live, and it's revealed in the Scripture. It is not how you feel. It is not what culture says. It is not what's comfortable. You do know there is a way that God wants you to operate. There's a way that God wants you to live. There's a way that God wants you to approach your marriage. There's a way that God wants you to approach sex. There's a way that God wants you to approach money. There's a, way, there's a way that God wants you to think and a way that God wants you to live in every single way. And you know where you find it? It ain't on Instagram. It's in the Word of God. It also reveals the will of God. God's ultimate desire for your destiny. Matthew 6, Jesus would say, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well, the will of God is discovered in the Word of God. So what does that all mean? Ultimately, it means that you can't know God if you don't know His Word. You can know some version of Him that can really easily get off the rails. God has drawn some lines, and all those lines flow from this one. So we have to make it priority. Which means you can't just hear it here for about 40 minutes every Sunday. It's got to be a regular part of your life. There are some things that culture are telling you. There are some things that part of Christian culture are telling you that are right or wrong or whatever. But you don't know if they're right or wrong until you've personally wrestled with his word. So it's time to start wrestling. Father God, I pray that you would create in us a hunger and thirst for your word. That it would be more than just this book that we've all had our entire lives. And that you would help us to realize that we have to take personal ownership of reading it and studying it and diving into it. And God, I pray that today as we worship you that you would bring 
conviction where it needs to be about the lack of time that maybe some of us have in your word, or you would just create just a desire to know you. Because God, if we desire to know you, then we will desire to read and study and dive into and allow your word to come alive in our lives. So God, I pray that you would use this moment to speak to us and challenge us and fall deeper in love with you and your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stay in a worship booth. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.